Hey everybody, this is pop culture critic John Tatey welcoming you back to Pop Mom, the podcast where culture is relative. Yes, it's time again for my mom, Bonnie Tatey, to share her view of pop culture, small town life, and the riddles of human nature. On this episode, Mom reviews the documentary film Apollo 11. Let's bring Mom in now. Hi, Mom. Hi, Johnny. How are you? I'm excellent. Had a nice Memorial Day weekend. How are you? Uh, I'm fine. I also had a very nice Memorial Day weekend. Oh? I uh, attended the Presbyterian Church yard sale. Oh, as previewed on our previous episode. Yes. I have a few things I want to tell you. Tell me. I do not like the feeling of being touched by other people's body parts as I hate it. And I thought I just didn't mind it. But I really, really, really dislike it. Uh, was it crowded? Is that? Oh, it... my God. It was ridiculously. You would think that they were giving away Tiffany jewelry in here for 10 cents, the way people act. It is a huge crush. There's a line waiting to get in. And outside they are selling furniture and yard furniture and sporting equipment and all sorts of things. So people are just frantic. I mean, I think people are so frantic that they probably get home and say, you know, I'm 98 years old. Why did I buy <laughs> hiking boots? Because people are just grabbing stuff. Yeah. yeah. It's nutty. It's nutty. And they're pretty rude on the whole. Who is? the like, Your fellow patrons or the people yeah. at the till? Oh, no, no, no. Not at the till. Not at the till. Those people, those poor people, get so overwhelmed so quickly that they they can't even add 25 cents stuff up and get it right. <laughs> And I was going to, I, I got some golden books, which we talked about, mm -hmm. little children's books mm -hmm. that were a quarter a piece. And I had all my money out and it was like $4 and something. And she, I came up and she said, let me see what you have. Let me see what you have. And I said, well, you know, here's, you know, $4 and 50 cents. Well, let me see what you have. So she added it up, and she came up with three bucks. So I just said, you know what? Screw you. Here's your three bucks, and see you later. You would have been willing to just throw her a fiver and get out of there. No, I was paying her what it, what I had, and she counted it up wrong. Yeah, yeah. But she was so obnoxious about it, I just I said, well, all right, I'm going to give you three bucks then. Well, I have to say, Mom, uh, I was uh, speaking with uh, my dear friend, and wife, Anna, uh, after she listened to last week's installment of Pop Mom, and uh, or she was texting me, actually, and she said uh, that the comparison between how the Presbyterians do their sale and how the Baptists do theirs is so funny. Uh, she says, it's just like Presbyterians to count all the pennies. Now, as you know, yeah. Anna's sister is a Presbyterian minister, and Anna has been involved in the Presbyterian Church, so she would know. Yeah. And apparently this uh, parsimony is uh, part of the culture. Is that right? Yeah, because you were—I should explain—last uh, week, Mom was talking about how the Presbyterians need to count everything up, and they have—you know, you can't get out before everything has been documented and, and checked— 
Whereas the Baptist, you can just take what you want and you leave them a donation. And as you were saying, probably overpay because you feel maybe right. a little guilty and generous. And you just make a donation on your way out. They're not worried about the dollars and cents in particular. Right. Right. Um, so apparently that uh, that lines up with at least Anna's impression of the church. That's interesting. Now, I think this is universal, this next thing I'm going to say, because okay. this always really skeeves me out. But the people that are selling hot dogs, and I think it's been well documemented that I have a hard time passing up a hot dog. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you want to give I a plug like to a your favorite dog. Chicago hot dog place? <laughs> the Chubby Wiener. If you have not had a hot dog from this place, you have not had a hot dog. Again, I do not understand your blue relish, but I'm going with it. It's green. It's just a weird shade of green. It's green because they add blue dye to it. (laughs) I looked that up. Which means, really, if I can be indelicate for just a minute, Mm. it means, really, I think, that when you poop, your water should turn cerulean blue, but it doesn't. Yeah, that's a shame, isn't it? Probably your insides are cerulean blue, though. Well, where does that dye go? All right, well, that's for another podcast. Yeah, so Chubby Wieners, I just want to, it's right near the Western Brown Line stop. So if you get off the train and you feel like a chubby wiener, well, your problem is solved. Just cross the street and they'll supply you with as many as you need. And you will not be disappointed. And hand-cut french fries, too. <laughs> That's right. But okay. back to the hot dog vendors at the Presbyterian yard sale. Now, you're calling it a yard sale, but it sounds like it's inside, too, right? Is this more of a rummage sale? No, it's inside the whole church. It, the whole church is cleaned out. The pews are gone, everything. And this room is just turned into uh, an area for mass hysteria. Well, that's a rummage sale, Ma. Come on. No, it's not a rummage sale, because a rummage sale is usually smelly and (laughs) icky, and this is not that way. Hmm. This is not that way. Now, Now, you're interrupting my wonderful hot dog story. I'm sorry. Proceed. So there's a man outside grilling. He's grilling them on the grill that I think they probably use once a year. So you don't want to get the first batch of hot dogs that comes off there. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So you wait for about the third batch because you figure most of the bacteria is burned off by now and whatnot. So you go inside, and here are these two women that are frantically trying to grab pieces of aluminum foil to wrap up your hot dog. At the same time, they are taking your dollar bills, your filthy dollar bills and giving you change and then going back to touching these hot dogs and wrapping them up. Whoops. Which is gross. The health department would not approve. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. And I really had to say, "Mm, do I really want a hot dog? And then I thought, well, if I came along later, I definitely have a hot dog and I wouldn't even know how they packaged them. So... I think it's okay. Oh, wow. <laughs> Manufactured ignorance. Yeah. Manufactured yeah. ignorance is bliss. So you ate a hot dog. I chose the hot dog. Yes, I did. <laughs> and I lived. So far. Well, I think a hot dog probably kills any living thing within its reach. Don't you imagine? Well, People say they're so bad for you. Hmm. 
you really come full circle now because when you started, you were you were so paranoid about the bacteria that you were letting the <laughs> grill go for multiple rounds before you jumped in yeah. there. And now it seems like you got yourself to hot dog pretty quickly. Yeah. Whatever rationale yeah. will get you to a hot dog. That's right. That's what you're going to follow. Right, ignor- a grilled hot dog. Oh, my God. I love a grilled hot dog. I love any hot dog. Yeah. Hey, I grilled up some sausages over the weekend that were quite good. Not that you're going to believe me, but it's true. Uh, for Memorial Day, I grilled up some uh, sausages for the first time. I'd usually only done hamburgers and hot dogs, and whew, that was that was delicious. Nobody ate one but me, but I enjoyed it. Well, when I come out, I'll make the peppers and onions to go with the sausage. Okay, good. If that sounds good to you. Yep, sure does. Okay, so anyway, the, what? the Presbyterian Church, but let me just tell you this. Mm-hmm. There was a renegade. I think she was a Catholic, really. She was there, and this woman wanted a, con- a container, and I wanted the buttons that were in it. And there was about, you know, probably $20 worth of buttons in there. And the woman said, can I have that container? And I said, well, wait a minute, and I want to see how much these buttons are. And the, I said to the woman, how much for these buttons? And she said, 50 cents. <laughs> I said, sold. <laughs> so it was a real bust for the Presbyterian Church for my purchases. You didn't stop and correct her and say, hey, there's $20 worth of buttons in this thing. Yeah. You know, I was in a bad mood after the First Lady who didn't trust me to give her $4.50. They act like you're a a criminal, like you're trying to rip them off for all this crap they got for free. Uh, wow. What's your grade overall for the Presbyterian Church rummage sale? Oh, I have to give it an A. <laughs> you know, we have so little, we have so little to look forward to, and this is so highly anticipated every year. Now you have the Baptist you know, Church yard sale to look forward to. Yes, and that, and that, I will give you a report on that one. But, you know, the one thing that I that I saw at the Presbyterian Church that I didn't get was when Anna and I went up one time and we saw two peanuts that were dipped in rosin. I told you this last yeah, week. Yeah, yeah. But we didn't buy it. It was the funniest thing I've ever seen. It was just two peanuts glued together and dipped in rosin with a with a pin on the back. Yeah, I you know. This is the, like the fourth time you've told this story. There's I know. not much I of a story to it, Mom. It's the funniest thing. I can't believe we didn't buy it. Well, it's a life full of regrets, isn't it? It, it? it always is. Well, maybe you can dip your own nuts in rosin sometime. <laughs> if only I had some. All right, this is taking a turn. Uh, I went to the Timber Ridge Water Park with the children this weekend, and of course with Anna. Uh, okay. It was Anna's idea, in fact, an ingenious idea to uh, make the weekend pass with the kids. Uh Every time I would say to Leo, Leo, are we going to the water park this weekend? He'd say, yes. And the arcade. I could never talk about the water park without him adding, and the arcade. Because there is a little, like, one-room arcade across the hall from the water park. And it's great because we go to the water park for about an hour, hour and a half. He splashes around. She splashes around a little less. She's not quite as into it. And then after about an hour and a half, uh, Leo comes over to me and says, can we go to the arcade now? 
And it's great because it provides a little carrot for them to get out, go get showered, get their clothes on, and then come back down. And I say, if we do all that stuff, we can go to the arcade. So uh, Timber Ridge, thank you for that arcade. Uh, Not as much thanks for the prices in the arcade. 20 bucks does not take you terribly far. But um, Leo played this, uh, you know, there's a lot of ticket games in the arcade, right? And he played this one game where you spin, use this lever to spin a giant wheel, kind of looks like the Price is Right wheel, um, with different big numbers on it. And there's this tiny little strip on it that's the monster jackpot. And it was like 1,500 tickets. And nobody ever hits this, you know, tiny little sliver. Well, lo and behold, Mom, Leo spins this thing, and it just comes around, and the wheel just settles in right in the middle of this half-inch stripe. And Leo hits the jackpot, and I'm just going crazy for him, and he gets a little irritated because by my reaction. um, Because he just, the wheel stopped. To him, it's a letdown. You know, the wheel's not spinning anymore. But I'll tell you what. We went over to the ticket center to redeem things, and I basically just said, okay, Eve, Leo, pick out one thing that you want. They each got a couple things because we had this jackpot of tickets, and we had this mountain of tickets left over on the card because, you know, the things they pick are like the slinky or the one-inch wind-up bulldozer. And it made me realize that I should really cherish this uh, period in which they cannot do math. Because every every year at the end of the year, I go with um, my friends Rick and Steve and their kids, and we go to a Dave and Buster's. And I get a card and rack up thousands of thousands of points, dominating. There's always some game I can find that I can dominate, for lack of a better term. I've spent a lot of time playing video games in my life. So I rack up a ton of points on this card, and then we have a little tournament among the kids to win John's point card, and then you can go spend it. And my God, Mom, they uh, it's just agony to go over to the ticket counter because they also are like, I'll take the Slinky, I'll take two sticks of Bazooka Joe and a box of Nerds, and I'll take a Chinese finger trap when they've got like 5,000 tickets they could have, you know, like a basketball hoop or a car. Um, And it takes forever because they can do the math. And they they just want to build up a Scrooge McDuck mountain of crap that they can dive into. And so... I, of course, I treasure the little kids and I savor my time with them regardless, but I really appreciate that they don't know uh, arithmetic quite yet. Yeah. So that yeah. when they were done, I just passed the card off to the nearest family and said, here you go. Here's a jackpot of tickets for your enjoyment. I wonder what they I got. Have a good time. That's so nice. That's sweet. That whole story is sweet. I love it. <laughs> I love it. Well, it's a little mean that I'm taking advantage of my kids' ignorance, but... It reminds me of one time when Becky Regazzo, you know, family, friend, her her mother and father are friends of daddy and mine, Mm -hmm. and she's their daughter, and she said she felt sad the first time her little boy asked for a, what were they called? Spinners? Oh, yeah. Fidget spinners. Spinners. 
her husband was going to the store and he said, does anybody need anything? And he said, daddy, can you get me a spinner? And she said she felt sad because it was the first, you know, pop culture type toy that he was going to get into. She said she felt a little sad. First fad. First fad, yeah. Sad because his it shows his awareness of the world has right. expanded. Yeah. Hey, did you see did you see the knitted versions of ourselves? Oh my god, aren't they adorable? <laughs> so sorry. If you didn't see, uh last week I um tweeted out a clip of the Pop Mom episode, uh, and it featured knitted avatars of me and mom as we chatted. And uh, those knitted avatars were by one Anna Harakovec, who you may know from her occasional appearances in the podcast as my wife, Anna. And she is the proprietor of Mochi Mochi Land. Uh, So go on my Twitter, John Tatey, J-O-H-N-T-E-T-I, if you want to see the knitted mom and John. And if you want to see more from Anna, really, she's got a lot more to offer than my ugly mug. And each and every one will just charm you and... Uh, make you take up knitting if you don't knit already, because you'll just want to own those. Go to mochimochiland.com. That's M-O-C-H-I, mochimochiland.com, to check out more from Anna. Thank you, Anna, for uh, the wonderful John and Mom, and I uh, can't wait to use them some more. They are they are fantastic, and thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, really. Shall we move along to our review, Mom? We shall. Okay. This week, Mom and I are talking about Apollo 11, drawing on newly unearthed 70-millimeter footage of humanity's first journey to the moon, director Todd Douglas Miller's film Apollo 11 somehow provides a new look at the most famous space mission in history. Presented without narration or interviews, the documentary instead relies entirely on contemporary materials, archival footage, radio and TV broadcasts, communications from mission control, and the like, to weave together a vivid depiction of one week in 1969 that dramatically expanded the scope of humankind. Here's a clip. And boring through the vastness, the blackness, the cold of space, they'll carry the pledge made eight years ago by President Kennedy to put a man on the moon and bring him back safely in this decade. Each segment of the mission, every individual piece has to be completed perfectly in order for the next step to be possible. And of course, the the nation itself is backing us, so we just sincerely hope that we measure up to that. The whole Apollo program was designed to get two Americans to the lunar surface and back again to Earth safely. The enormity of this event is something that only history will be able to judge. Apollo 11 has very simply been given the mission of carrying men to the moon, landing them there, and bringing them safely back. For in addition to the mission the three astronauts will perform and the experiments they'll undertake, these men will carry with them many other things, many things that are not nearly so easy to describe. Apollo 11 is available on a variety of streaming services, although I do recommend getting the Blu-ray, if you can, for highest picture quality. Mom, were you over the moon for Apollo 11? Oh, I was. I really, really was. 
there were, yes, this was just wonderful. I would recommend it, you know, because it's a, just a short mm-hmm. immersion into that time. I was struck by the fact that in 1969, you know, I can remember that very vividly that, you know, I was going to be a senior in high school and watching the show. I thought, why wasn't I watching all this? Well, this is so fascinating. You know, what was I doing? What was I so busy doing? And then, of course, I realized it happens over eight days. Yeah. So there were people that watched every minute they could, but, you know, I had a life to live. Somebody landed <laughs> on the moon. I was too busy. I was too busy. Right. Yeah. Did you watch the moon landing itself? Yeah. And what was that like? That was, um, I, I don't think I uh, appreciated the enormity of it. You know, because I just think I, they said they were going to do it. You know, I was very innocent, really, at that age, that that mm. they said they were going to do it, so they were going to do it. That's all. Yeah. Uh, you know, I wasn't worried about danger. I wasn't, I, I, I just accepted that that's what was going to happen. And watching it last night, I was so blown away by it. I realized how young I was then and, yeah. and self-involved. Yeah. Um, because really... When you you look at that, there's just everything that could go wrong, millions of things that could go wrong, and and it didn't. You know, it was just it was just magnificent. I was struck by watching this, and that we recently have reviewed um, Avengers Endgame, where you know the the rockets are just zoom zoom zooming, and it's <laughs> pretend, right, and. And this is real. This is this was mm. real, and I was just struck by how it's such nothing in the in the movies, but in real life, it's like what the heck? Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, uh, I'll. So the presentation is very Spartan, assiduously Spartan, but very effective. The actual landing sequence when they're bringing the lunar module down to the surface of the moon. Now, I've read about this um, sequence any number of times. I've read the NASA documents. I've listened to the communications. Like, I know everything that's going on here. So maybe that helped me. But the pulse-pounding part of this sequence is that as they're going down, there's two things, major things that happen. One is it looks like they're going to come down in a crater. Um, so Armstrong has to take uh, manual control of the lamb. And the computer starts throwing these errors, and they don't know why. So in the course of about a minute, Armstrong and Mission Control in Houston have to decide whether to keep going. And just think the years and years of effort that have come up to this moment, and in the matter of seconds, they have to decide whether to abort the whole thing or or go ahead. And... You know, it's a testament to the expertise and teamwork uh, at NASA that they were able to make the correct determination. But just on the screen, it's just a little red um, flashing graphic that flashes the error code. Yeah, just a little emblem. (laughs) A little emblem. And as it would have been on, you know, I'm not saying they emulated the console itself, but it would have been just one light among very many on 
Armstrong's console as well, right? And right. Um, somehow just that little pixel of red as we're also watching on the whole screen this footage from a camera mounted on the lander um, as it gets closer and closer to the surface, you wouldn't think that looking at a gray land surface and, uh, you know, a tiny flashing text on the screen would be so exciting. But somehow it really captures this moment and draws you into the tension and excitement of it. And it happens again and again in the film that a story right. you a story you know you know how this story comes out is somehow gripping right well and it is gripping and the thing one of the things that um, crossed my mind was when they see these errorist things so these are men that have lived through the oh I forget what mission it was but the one with Gus Gisrin and astronaut white that they they burned yes and that was just Two years before. That's right. So, so the idea of a fatality had to be somewhere in their minds, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and yet they've got to make a split-second decision. This is their life. Yeah. I mean, I, I felt, like you said, I knew how it ended, but it was very tense. It felt very tense because I put myself right in their position. And I, I'll tell you what else I loved about this was showing the reporters at the pay phones calling in their stories. Yeah. Kids walking around with transistor radios on their shoulders. I mean, that's how I grew up. Yeah. Well, that's And I loved seeing it. You know, one reason I wanted to talk with you about this uh mom aside from the fact that I just was so moved by it and thought that people who weren't as into space as I was would also be moved by it. So, I think maybe I'm a little more into this stuff than you are. And so I'm delighted to hear that you were also moved by it. But in particular, I thought of you when they showed the crowds and they have this sparkling footage of the crowds gathered to watch the launch. And mom, there was a shot of a woman combing her hair. I don't know if this I, popped up. I remember. And she's moving her movements are so precise and um, polite, cordial. You know, she's just so, she's combing her hair in public, but she's so well put together. I felt like the people were different in in the way that they carried themselves. I mean, everybody's yeah. dressed so nicely, the colors. Yes. I mean, I, there's uh, the bursting colors. You'd think they had just invented dye you know, with all the different colors that people are wearing yeah. on this beautiful yeah. summer day, people just felt more put together. And there's a vibe of respect um, that respect. Yeah. maybe I don't get as much in crowds for events like these today. Well, you know, we weren't at that point. Uh, you know, people weren't there to show their tatas and we didn't wear our clothes you know, up our crotch like they do now. It wasn't, and it, and the whole event was about the rocket launch. It wasn't about, look at me. Mm. You know, that's how society is very much now. Look at me. Mm. Yeah. It wasn't so much like that then. Although I will say, you know, sometimes I'll go to a, a concert 
I mean, rarely anymore, but I'll go to a concert or some big event with a crowd and people will have their phones out taking pictures. And I often think, just experience it, you know, just just be here right right now. But look at all the shots they had of people with their with their cameras out. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people with their cameras. So at the same time as I thought people are different, I also sometimes got the impression, well, people are pretty much the same as they've always been. And I think there's some truth to that, too, that sometimes we're a little too hard on the present. The funniest part is that we're seeing the moving of the rocket to the launch site and, you know, all this up-close stuff. And then they show us the, what these people are seeing that are, have come to observe. <laughs> and they're, like, miles away. I know. And it looks like, uh, you know, it looks like a, what is that over there? Well, the first shot is of um, this gigantic machine that they are using yeah. to uh, move the rocket into place. And, Mom, I was moved from that first shot. Because it's so, the picture is so vivid and detailed. Yeah. It feels like you are there, even watching, I mean, look, I have a nice enough TV, but it, it's not like I'm in an IMAX theater watching this. But my heart, like I felt it in my heart when I saw this picture because I just felt like I was there. And it gives you a taste of what you're in for. I can't believe some of the images we see and some of the footage that we see, it can be so intimate um, or so grand. And just yeah. it looks like the picture was taken yesterday. Well, the thing that brought me, uh, you know, kind of choked me up was when the parachutes opened up when they are coming back to Earth yeah. to land and the parachutes um, open up and to give them a soft landing. Um, and they're just red and white striped, and I just, that's when I just got all teary, and, you know, it was like success, a breath of relief, and, but I remember them then, they went immediately into quarantine, yeah. which I thought was very square, uh, very scary. Uh, yeah, they're in those full body suits with the gas masks, it's not the, um, that story, part of the story, doesn't get depicted or told as much, but they don't exactly get the hero's welcome until a no. few weeks later. You know, usually in the story, we cut from the landing to the ticker tape parades, but we did see yeah. more of this um, strange quarantine period they uh, underwent as part of an excess of caution. Um, but let's talk about those ticker tape parades and the shot near the end of people Again, in a in a strikingly orderly fashion, but just a swarm of people rushing up to the parade route to see the heroes go by. It's hard for me to think of a comparable moment from my lifetime. Really, not even the Patriots winning the <laughs> Super Bowl. Well, but I'm, that's kind well, of I'm it, kidding. isn't it? What, like, I know you're kidding, but like that's yeah, that type of thing. But for the whole society. You know, just that's right. That's right. Because this was universal. Yeah. This was not just a small section of America. This was universal. This was pride. Um, and also, you know, the other thing that you that you have to put into play here is that it was a very uh, unsure. It was a shaky time in that this mm. was in the beginning of the Vietnam War. Mm. So we were really headed into some ugly stuff. 
And this was just such a moment of jubilation and pride and happiness before all that developed. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning of the 70s, then people were burning down buildings and the nation proceeded to tear itself apart. Uh, so right. it's a good point. So maybe I shouldn't get too um, melancholic about our great moment of unity because it didn't last, I suppose. Well, I think you have to celebrate a moment like that. You yeah. do have to celebrate a moment like that. That's what makes the other times bearable. Mm. Well put. Um, I have a question for you. As critical a part as he played, I feel a little sorry for Michael Collins. Um, Michael Collins is the command module pilot. He's the he stayed up orbiting the moon in the command module while Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin were on the ground. And you feel sorry for him because he did not get to walk on the moon. Is that what you're saying? That is correct. Michael Collins uh, spoke about that in the years after the mission, and he would always talk about uh, actually how special he felt. And I think um, he would talk about how he felt uh, this profound peace and um, this sense of connection to humanity, actually, while he was up there by himself. He, you know, it's these simultaneously but contrasting feelings of solitude and connectedness. And he also talks about how he took a certain pride in sort of watching over the astronauts on the moon and watching over the Earth. So I don't think you need to feel sorry for him. I think he perhaps had a singular experience that nobody else did or will have uh, in that in that unique well, position he was true. in. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm still going to feel sorry for him, <laughs> if, if you don't mind. Okay, well, you can, but I don't think he would want you to. Okay. The other thing when I was, well, first of all, I wanted to tell you that Buzz Aldrin's mother's maiden name was Marion Moon. <laughs> I did not know that. Wow. How's that for some weird stuff? Yeah. Huh? Foreshadowing, yeah. Uh, my interest has really been piqued by all this. Yeah. Well, it's a fascinating history. Well, it is. And for you, it's history. But for me, it's yeah. like, again, I was right there and just too, too involved in myself and, you know, my friends and who's going swimming. And I didn't uh, give it enough reverence. Well, of course you didn't. I mean, that's a lifelong process, isn't it? We talked earlier in the podcast about, um, you know, your f friend's little son who became aware of fidget spinners. And, you know, that process is not over when you're a teenager, right? Your world right. may have expanded, but it's still pretty small. Yeah. Uh, I guess I feel embarrassed by that. Oh, I don't, you're human. That's, I don't think you should be embarrassed. But when I see the enormity of it, I do. I feel I feel like you should have paid more attention. You should have been more involved. I don't know. That's just how I feel. Well, fortunately, it's, as we have seen, one of the most documented moments in all of history. So you get a second chance to take a look at it. And yeah. I don't know how you could get any better look at it than this movie. Yeah, this was like no bells and whistles. This was just very interesting, you know, and I think so I think so many times, so many movies, so many things we've watched, I've said to Dad, 
you know, they should just show this in school. We don't need a teacher standing in front of us for this lesson. Just show this. This is this is perfect. Well, I'm sure uh, America's teachers will appreciate that, Mom. I'm I'm saying it's part of the curriculum to really get it. <laughs> <I know. across. laughs> That's what I'm saying. Yeah. That yeah. it's so rich, it's so perfect, and and all tied up in a neat little box. You can't do any more justice to that. It's extremely uh, adept to visual storytelling, and as you know, I often look at these things from a production point of view. Mm. So I'm looking for things like how does the film answer the question of where did this footage come from? You know, because in a in a more um, typical documentary setup you would have captions or narration or interviews. Like I said in the in the intro, none of that is present in this film. So they very artfully and shrewdly include early on a couple of shots with with camera people in it. So you can see them making this incredible footage that we are seeing. And that's all they need to do. They don't need to yeah. say this footage was lost for many years and we went looking for it and finally unearthed it and all of that. Somewhat interesting story, sure, but they don't need to tell that. All they need to do is show the camera guy. And OK, of course, they were right. documenting. We get it. Right. Yeah. yeah. There are so many moments like that. Yeah, go ahead. One thing that was uh, that would have been helpful is um, they did have graphics on there that showed. Um, yes. Time or, or space or whatever, yeah. or who somebody was that was in charge. And yes. You can't read. You can't read them. They're very small. They're very small and seemingly designed for an IMAX screen. Yeah. Um, and I think oh. that I, you know, my view is like they really want to keep the focus on the image, which is why those things are so tiny. But yes, they are. Um, little hard to read at times. I would have liked to have seen what they said. I, yeah. would have, I, I would have liked that. Conversely, I did really like the very simple, but I thought effective diagrams that showed you the different stages yes. of the flight. And to me, yes. explained them better than any Apollo documentary or, or you know, explainer video I've ever seen. I, I really, you know, because you're looking at something and you're really not sure what it is and then uh they put up this little graphic and it's like oh yeah yeah that that that's hard and it was really effective they're short they're super simple it's just white on black simplified diagrams but at every stage it gives you an idea oh okay that's how they got down that's how they got back up right and i think that's important um a lot of the uh materials that i've seen neglect the sort of nuts and bolts and here's what this acronym means quickly here's what this acronym means they're going to go around the earth a couple times and then shoot out to go around the moon um draw us the map you know it only takes a few seconds and this this film which is so um unadorned and so spartan like i said still manages to accomplish that drawing us the map just a, just a little, you could have drawn it on a napkin and it, and it would have been crystal clear. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, the other thing, Johnny, that I wanted to say is that when this happened, um, most families, I would think, 
didn't have TVs in every room of the house. You had one in the living room, and that was it. Mm. So that people that sat around and looked at this looked at it together. Yeah. You know, you felt uh, camaraderie. Because I can remember going into my best friend's house, and, you know, her mother had it on, and we sat there and watched it for a while with her mother. And it was, you could go anywhere in town and, and go into someone's house, and there it was. You know, we're all watching the same thing. So there was that feeling of we're all in this together. You know, I'm glad you brought that up, Mom, because it um, reminded me of another element that I really took note of, which was as countless Apollo uh, documentaries have done, it included Walter Cronkite um, and included much of Walter Walter Cronkite's narration of the mission. And... I'm astonished by the degree to which poetry was present in our national discourse because Mm. Walter Cronkite is waxing about a dream that mankind has had for millennia. Uh, Not his exact words, but he's he's talking about a dream of mankind and um, how this is a fulfillment of, of human aspirations, and it just is all... It's all so grand, and it's an attempt to express and share with the nation the sublime nature of this undertaking, and it's a poetry that I wish had a place in our current discourse, because I do think there are aspects of our existence in 2019 that are worthy of this poetry, but where are you going to hear it? Yeah, because now, now the news is just trying to slam the news right at you as fast as you can take it in. It's, well, it's uh, just it's, to agitate you. I mean, the whole news media is simply wired to keep us in a constant state of agitation with flashing red banners and um, mm. ir- unresolvable uh, debates and just constant, constant acrimony. You know, the thing is, back then they tried to console you. I can remember when... President Kennedy was shot and, you know, they tried to be very gentle with you and like we're sitting in the living room with you. And now I see what you're saying. It's just, blam, here's the news. Yeah, I mean, the Kennedy assassination, The in terms of the news media, the famous moment from that is Walter Cronkite taking his glasses off um, and collecting himself before yeah. As he breaks the news to the nation that the president is dead. Yeah. Uh, so what's your grade for Apollo 11, Mom? Oh, it's definitely A+. plus. Everybody, okay. everybody at some point, you know, your baseball game gets rained out. This is a great thing to watch. Oh, good idea. Yeah. Well, thank you for watching it. I know it wasn't what we originally had on the docket uh, for this week, so I appreciate your willingness to call an audible, so to speak. A term about which we had a long conversation on the phone when I did call this audible. <laughs> do you have a recommendation for us this week, Mom? I do. I I uh, hesitated to watch this myself, but I did watch it. Uh, it's called Call to Courage by Brene Brown. And she's very amusing. She's She studies uh, shame, and I forget what else she studies... It's a talk. She gives a talk about life and living life, uh, sort of authentically, and what you need to do to have that. 
um, and she talks a great deal about vulnerability, which is the same as courage. Mm. And I would really recommend that you watch her her do it because she's very eloquent and she's very amusing. She's very funny. You will laugh, but she has a good point. One of the biggest points that I took away from her talk was the phrase, the story I'm telling myself, because I think it's a great way to present to uh, anyone, but I'll say to my husband, you know, this is instead of like, this is where I'm coming from, or you said this and you said that it's the story I'm telling myself is that you said that because you're tired and you're hungry and you're this and you're that, which then opens up the door. It's not accusatory. It's not, it doesn't hurt your pride. You're just putting it out there to have a conversation about something. But mm. she tells it much more eloquently and, and beautifully. And I think everybody will take a little something away from this. I would just highly recommend it. This is streaming on Netflix. It's Brene Brown, The Call to Courage. Uh, I first learned about it while I was watching Wine Country. Uh, a couple of weeks ago. Oh, get out. Because a bunch of the characters in Wine Country are into Brene Brown. You know, Netflix likes to sneak in this product placement. It's amazing yeah. how many characters in uh, Netflix series are into other Netflix stuff <laughs> and love to talk about it. It's such a strange coincidence. Well, I would give it a try. Okay. This is uh, quite a phenomenon, I understand. At least according to the characters in Wine Country. You know, I hate to be cliché. So maybe I should retract this. I don't know. What? That's not cliche. Well, if everybody's already doing it, you know, I didn't, I didn't uh, find her and I don't know. I don't, I just, I'm not really mainstream. I don't find myself. Well, I don't even know what mainstream uh, is anymore. So. I don't either. So don't worry about that. We talk about what we talk about. There's going to be a critical mass of listeners to this podcast who haven't heard about Brene Brown at all. So never okay. censor yourself that way. All right. We talk about what we talk about, and people seem to enjoy it, except for that one guy okay. who didn't like the theme song. But other than him, well, everybody seems yeah, to enjoy but, it. But, you know, we're still trying to bump him off the front page. Oh, we've, oh they've done that by now. The listeners have taken care oh, of have that they? right okay. quick. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I was too brokenhearted to go back and check. <laughs> Good. <laughs> don't go back and check. We don't need that. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if you do ever want to get in touch with Mom and me, you can email us. Send your message to popmom at ological.net. That's ological.net. We would love to hear from you. That'll do it for this week's edition of Pop Mom. Mom and I will be back next week to talk about more pop culture. Uh, what should we talk about, Mom? I can't think of anything. Hmm. Hmm. How about something interesting? That could work. That could work. All right. Something interesting next week. Uh, hey, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. If you enjoy me, WGN Radio, if you're in the Chicagoland area, and if you're not, WGNRadio.com. But at 7.20 a.m., most Tuesday nights, I'm on with Patty Vasquez, and we have a lot of fun. So if you want to hear my voice in a more traditional radio context, 
Tune your radio to WGN 720 every Tuesday night, or like I said, listen online at WGNRadio.com. Or, yes, I like that, but also you can listen to it later because oh, that's right. Patty puts up podcasts, so you can also listen to it later. That's right. Just search your podcast app for um, the Patty Vasquez podcast, I think it's it's called. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's just the radio show minus commercials and news breaks, um, but they put the whole thing online. It's actually a pretty yeah. nice way to listen to it, in fact. It's a great way to listen to it. Hey, we love y'all for listening. Mom and I will talk to you again next week. Bye for now, Mom. Bye, Johnny. I love you. Love you, too.